0: Tonight we're going to open up in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 will be our text. We're also going to be looking at Lord's Day 12 and specifically question and answer 32 from the Heidelberg Catechism. So we need both of those things before us. If possible, Matthew 7, 21 to 23, Lord's Day 12, it can be found printed on the back page of the bulletin. It's also in the gray hymnal. Which is in the pew in front of you, on page 873. So Matthew 7:21 to 23, and then Lord's Day 12. I'm going to read from Matthew 7 first. This is what we read: Matthew 7, beginning at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then we look at question and answer 32. If you have that before you, I'll review question 31. Uh, was specifically focused on the name Christ. Why is He called Christ, meaning anointed? We looked at that answer last time we were together. Question 32 asks, but why are you called a Christian? And let's read the answer together. Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in His anointing. I am anointed to confess His name, to present myself to Him as a living sacrifice of thanks to strive with a good conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Let's pray before we open, before we study God's Word together. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for again, the opportunity we have to freely gather and to study Your Word. Father, it is our prayer that as we study Your Word tonight, You would lead us uh, into all truth, uh, that by it we might be changed, that by it we might be conformed into the image of Christ, that by it we might better, be better prepared and equipped to serve You in the week ahead. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. People of God, those verses that we just read uh, from Matthew chapter 7 are some of, I think, the more sobering verses uh, in all of the Bible. Because you see, what those verses teach us is that not everyone who walks around claiming to be a Christian actually is. No, it's clear from those verses that some. Uh, that there are some who say, Lord, Lord, while remaining apart from the very Lord that they profess. The prophet Isaiah spoke of people in his day who honor the Lord with their lips, but whose hearts are far from Him, and Jesus here is speaking about those same people in Matthew chapter 7. Now, this truth that uh, not everyone who claims to be a Christian actually is, uh, leads us to a question, and the question is, what is a Christian? What is a Christian? If not everyone who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, then we need to know what a Christian is in order that we might rest assured that we ourselves are indeed Christians and that we ourselves are truly abiding in Christ by faith. So that's the question that's before us tonight, what is a Christian? Question and answer 32 of the Catechism will guide us in answering this question. And we're going to notice that question and answer 32 sets forth quite plainly what a Christian is, first from a spiritual perspective, and then secondly, what a Christian is from a practical perspective. So first, what a Christian is from a spiritual perspective. This is what we see uh, really in that first sentence of the answer to question 32. We see what what a Christian is from a spiritual perspective, and we might say that a Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith and therefore shares in His anointing. That's the definition we'll go with. A Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith and therefore shares in His anointing. Now, there's two phrases there. We'll just consider each one a moment. First, a Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith. Uh, The catechism uses the word uh, member. It says, "'Because by faith I I am a member of Christ.'" Uh, It seems we're a little more familiar with the language of being united to Christ, and so I've used that term instead. Uh, But either union with Christ or being a member of Christ, those are both biblical words. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Paul writes, you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it. In Romans 6, 4, we read, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And again, the idea there is that, is that we're, we're united with Christ. What's happened to Him has, to some degree, happened to us also, as those who are in Him by faith. We were buried uh, with Him by baptism into death uh, in order that just as He was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Uh, Think of of a vine and branches. They they are together, aren't they? They They are united. They are members of one another. So, a Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith. When we believe in Jesus, when we trust in Jesus for salvation, we become united with Him. We become one with Him. Now, there is something a bit mystical about this. There is something about this that is difficult uh, for finite and sinful people like us to grasp, but it is the clear teaching of Scripture. Of course, what's interesting Uh, you might remember, is that it's this truth that we are united with Christ by faith. It's this truth which makes the sin of sexual immorality in particular so distinctly terrible. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 19, Paul writes, "'Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ, that you're united with Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never.'" Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. My point is simply, it's that truth of union with Christ uh, that Paul sort of uses as his argument there to highlight why the sin of sexual immorality is so distinctly wretched and terrible. Well, let's focus on that second phrase now. A Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith and therefore shares in His anointing. We might remember from last time together, the name Christ means anointed. It's actually more of a title than a name. Christ is the Greek word meaning anointed. Messiah is the Hebrew word meaning anointed. Uh, But each of these words, Messiah and Christ, refer to Jesus' threefold office, of prophet, priest, and king. In the Old Testament, it was prophets, priests, and kings who were anointed. Each of them was a, was a Christ, and together they pointed forward to the Christ. Together they pointed forward to the ultimate prophet, the great high priest, and our eternal king, the Lord Jesus. Now, we looked at that uh, the last time we were together. But what we learn now is that as people who are united with Christ by faith, we share in His anointing. That is, God has called us, believers, to to function as little Christs, we might say, as, as little prophets, priests, and kings in this world. Now, the way we function as prophets, priests, and kings is different than the way Jesus did, Uh, and the Catechism goes on to tell us how we function as prophets, priests, and kings in the remaining lines. But that leads to our really second heading tonight, Uh, what a Christian is practically speaking, right? What a Christian is spiritually speaking, united with Christ by faith, therefore shares in His anointed. Now we're going to just see, what is a Christian practically speaking? What does a Christian look like Uh, in his or her day-to-day life. Because you see, the spiritual reality of being united to Christ by faith and sharing His anointing, it gives way to practical day-to-day realities. And the Catechism goes on to say that I am anointed to, four things, the first, confess His name. I am anointed to confess His, His name. A Christian is one who confesses the name of Christ. A Christian is one who says, Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is the one I serve. Of course, anyone can confess Jesus' name when life is easy, when life is good, when they believe that doing so will assure them of material blessing the true Christian, as we know, confesses Christ's name no matter what. The true Christian confesses Christ's name on both the mountaintop and down in the valley. The true Christian confesses Christ's name in times of rejoicing and in times of weeping. But a Christian is one who confesses the name of Jesus. We should be wary of those who claim to be Christian, yet never speak about the name of Jesus in public. I remember uh, the January series, right, takes place at Calvin College or University or whatever they want to call themselves uh, every January, and um, Cal Ripken, Jr. was speaking when I was in seminary. And so I'm like, well, you know, most of these I don't want much to do with, but I'll go watch, you know, Cal Ripken speak, kind of a childhood icon. It was the most pathetic speech I've ever heard. It was so, like, just fluff. But anyway, they have question and answer at the end, and uh, someone says, you know, Cal, and credit to this kid, he says, you know, Cal, you're, you're, you're teaching, you're speaking here at a Christian university, could you just tell us a little bit about your faith? And uh, Cal goes, well, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's just a private matter, and that was it. I'm not sure if Cal calls himself a Christian or not. I I don't know if he does, but we should be wary, right, of anyone who who says they're faithful, uh, yet never speaks the name of Christ and refuses an opportunity to speak about the name of Christ. A good Christian is one who confesses the name of Jesus. Phil Riken tells the story of a man named Wandaro. He was 20 years old when missionaries arrived in his village. Uh, They had a book that. Told him about the Creator and uh, said that people should worship him and not Satan. And Wandaro uh, did. He worshiped uh, this man, Jesus, whom they introduced him to. Within a few weeks of hearing this message, Wandaro publicly announced to his whole village, I renounce Satan to follow Jesus. He was baptized and immediately he asked to be taught to read so that he could learn more from, from the missionary's book that they had brought with them. Uh, It was clear uh, from the beginning that Wandaro's love for the Savior had become a driving force in his life, Uh, and this became even clearer when his infant son was dying of a fever, and the town witch doctor implored him to make sacrifices to demons. Wandaro refused. He said, I love my baby boy, but I will not sacrifice to demons again. Well, the boy died and the villagers, they went into their customary rituals of mourning. But as they were wailing and as they were cutting themselves in this diabolical fury, Wandaro, the man who just lost his son, he rushed among them and he shouted, Stop! I miss my child. But God has given me peace in the face of death through this man, Jesus Christ. A Christian is one like Wandaro. confesses the name of Christ on the mountaintop and in the valley. The Christian is also one who presents himself or herself to God as a living sacrifice of thanks. You can see that uh, there in, in answer 32 as well. Of course, this comes from Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, this is here the Christian's priestly ministry. Confessing Christ is the Christian's prophetic ministry. And this is the Christian's priestly ministry. Jesus died for sin. The Christian is to die To sin. We are to continually present ourselves, our lives, as as living sacrifices to God, as people who are dying to their sin. As you probably know, if you don't know, I think you're maybe living under a rock. This month is Pride Month. Every morning when I wake up, my iPhone tells me that. It's kind of strange. It's a month where we're supposed to celebrate all things LGBTQ, right? Well, thankfully, what man intends for evil, God has a way of using for good. And many who once found themselves in the LGBTQ community are using Pride Month to share their stories of God's transforming grace. This is one of those stories told by a young lady. She said, five years ago this month, Pride Month, I came out to my family and publicly as a lesbian. I was convinced, set in my ways, that I was born that way and that no one or nothing could ever change that. But God, He moved and molded my heart into a sculpture of His grace, forgiveness, love, compassion, understanding. He used people in my life at that time, in the summer of 2016, to show me what He wanted for me, And that what I wanted for myself was leading nowhere good and was not the same. It wasn't my sexuality that was my destruction. It was my sin. It was my heart posture. It was my choices and my struggles and temptations. It was my lust, my pride, my feelings as truth instead of God's Word as truth. I was lost. I was confused. I was mad. I wanted sorrow, not healing. I wanted pleasure because I was simply in pain. I was insecure, I believed I deserved nothing, yet wanted everything, but was looking in the wrong places. But God, He picked me up and He listened, and while He listened, He healed me, He saved me, He delivered me, He was always running after me. Today I live a life that strives to please God and not man. I no longer identify as a lesbian and desire a husband and children. My purpose is to please the spirit and not the flesh. To see the eternal kingdom plan instead of my own, broken and worldly one. And then she says this, I live dying to my flesh daily, a struggle that I will probably always have. It is not easy, but it is the best decision I ever made, and I continue to lean on my heavenly Father. If you want to know what it looks like to offer your life as a living sacrifice of thanks to God, there it is, right? I live dying to my flesh daily, a struggle that I will probably always have. It's not easy, but it's the best decision I ever made, she says. And that's the life God calls all of us to, not just those who are gay, but those who are proud, those who are greedy, those who lust, those who covet, those who are lazy, you name it. It's the life God calls all of us to, a life of dying to our flesh in our sinful nature, and our worldly passions daily as we present ourselves as a living sacrifice of thanks to God. And it's a sacrifice of thanks. We're not doing it so God will love us. We're doing it because of what God has done for us in Christ. It's, it's gratitude. It's a sacrifice of gratitude. Lord, take my life because of what you've done for me. The Catechism says in another place, can those be saved who do not turn from their ungrateful and impenitent ways? And it answers, by No means, right? And the implication is these people who do not turn from their sinful ways, they're not true believers. They're not true Christians. The Christian is one who presents himself or herself to God as a living sacrifice of thanks. Third, the Catechism tells us that the Christian is one who strives with good conscience against sin and the devil in this life. One place we see this in the Bible's Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says there, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may, able, may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Christians are people who strive against the devil, who take their stand against the devil, who live daily at war with the devil. Now, what does that mean, practically speaking? Well, well, Paul tells us there in Ephesians 6, doesn't he, when he talks about putting on the full armor of God, he tells us what it means to, to stand against the devil, practically. It means that Christians are to be people who, who stand up for the truth. The truth is the belt on our armor and our striving against the devil. The devil is the father of lies. And so, so anytime we stand up for the truth and advocate for the truth, we take our stand against the evil one. It also means Christians are to be people who, who live righteous lives. Not perfectly righteous, of course, but to a degree in this world, righteous, certainly. Righteousness is the breastplate of our armor, Paul says in Ephesians 6. What does righteous living look like? Well, think about it. It looks like, it looks like husbands loving their wives, right? Serving their wives. It looks like children honoring their parents, it looks like God's people acting as good stewards of all that have been entrusted to their care. It looks like caring for the orphan and the widow and so on. Whenever we, we, we live righteously, whenever we live in obedience to God's Word, we're taking our stand against the devil. It also means that Christians are people who share the gospel. Sharing the gospel is the shoes of the armor, right? Right? And it's the way we, we advance Christ's kingdom, and it's the way we, we drive back Satan's kingdom. It also means that Christians are people who regularly exercise their faith. They're people who continually fall back on the finished work of Jesus Christ for them. Faith is the shield by which we extinguish the devil's flaming arrows of condemnation. It also means Christians are people of the Word. Christians are people who know the Scriptures because the Scriptures are the sword of the Holy Spirit by which we go on the offensive against the devil. Finally, it means Christians are people of prayer because prayer really, in the context of that passage, prayer is like the means by which we put on the armor and keep on the armor and remain alert in our striving against the devil. So, Christians are are people who strive against sin and the devil in this life, and and practically speaking, we see what that means. It means Christians are people of the truth, Christians are people of prayer, Christians are people of faith, Christians are people who share the gospel, Christians are people who, who seek to live holy and righteous lives, right? By doing these things, we take our stand against the devil and his schemes. By doing these things, we wage war against the kingdom of darkness. Fourth, the Christian is one who looks forward. What does he or she look forward to? Well, according to the catechism, we look forward to reigning with Christ over all creation for all eternity. Another way to say that would just be a Christian is one who is marked by hope. The Christian is one who who understands that here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Many of you know Johnny Erickson Tata, paralyzed in a diving accident when she was 18 many years ago, Uh, has to this day a wonderful ministry uh, to the disability community, but but really to everyone. (laughs) Uh, I've been blessed by her ministry, right? And uh, this is what she said on her, she has a one-minute radio program on her website. I don't know how often she releases it, if it's daily or what, but this is what she said on that about two years ago. She said, I'm, jo- "'I'm Johnny Erickson Tata, and my hope of running through meadows,' remember she's paralyzed, "'my hope of running through meadows will not come true here on earth, but it will when I go to heaven. I don't mind waiting. You see, having less in this life leads to true contentment because the Bible has convinced me that much, much more is coming in the next. The art of living with suffering is readjusting your expectations in the here and now, but that's okay.' Because when I was on my feet, big pleasures only provided fleeting satisfaction anyway. Ah, but in my wheelchair, satisfaction comes with smaller things. Because my hardships have helped to yield patience, endurance, gratitude, and all of it fits me further for eternity. And then she says "Yes, yep, I'm looking forward to one day running and jumping through that meadow, for heaven has my heart and one day the rest of my body is going to catch up with it. That's a Christian. A Christian is one who looks forward. A Christian is one who, who continually realizes the best is yet to come and is able to endure suffering because they realize that and they understand that and they know that. So we've learned tonight what a Christian is. A Christian is one who is united to Christ by faith and therefore shares in His anointing. A Christian is one who confesses Christ and who presents himself or herself as a living sacrifice of thanks. A Christian is one who strives with good conscience against sin and the devil and who looks forward with hope to the day when God will make all things new. Let me ask, does that describe you by God's grace? Does that describe you? I hope so. For many will say on the last day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and cast out demons in Your name and do many mighty works in Your name, only to hear Him say in return, I never knew You. Depart from me, You workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, We give you thanks and praise for the great truth that by faith we are united with Christ and so share in His anointing. We are anointed to confess your name in this world. We are anointed to present our lives as a sacrifice of thanksgiving daily unto you for all that you've done for us. We are anointed to wage war against the evil one And we are anointed to look forward with great hope to your coming kingdom. Help us to do all of these things well and for the glory of your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand for the parting blessing and then we'll sing our closing song tonight. Dear friends, God sends us out with these words from number six. May the Lord bless you and keep you May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May He turn His face toward you and grant you His peace. Amen.